millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, this week, the government announced a redress scheme for defects in apartments. This is serious stuff. An expert report last year found that up to 100,000 apartments built between 1991 and 2013 had issues over principally fire safety defects, but also structural defects and water ingress. In short, the building standards and their adherence to design and regulations during the so-called Celtic Tiger years was absolutely appalling. This wasn't confined to a few cowboys. Everything suggested it was systemic and in fact it would probably be easier to identify the few major developers who were not caught up in this rather than the majority who have been. The scheme that was announced is going to cost the Exchequer up to £2.5 and it has to be said those affected are fully entitled to be compensated as they place their trust in both the state and the builder who would build according to the rules. For some, the experience has been traumatic, including those who had to leave their homes, particularly if they had young children, rather than continue to live in danger, as they saw it. In some cases, developments had to be patrolled 24-7 by fire marshals while remedial work was being done in order to ensure that everybody could be safely alerted and evacuated in time in the event of a fire. Anyway, the Irish Examiner was to the fore in exposing a lot of this stuff going back over the last nine years and we're going to take a look at how we got here and what can be learned. We will also take a quick peek at the travails of the Minister of Public Enterprise, Pascal Donoghue. Joining me to discuss these issues is the Irish Examiner political correspondent, Kira Feeling. Kira, you're very welcome. Thanks, Mick. Kira, Pascal Donoghue, I think we'll touch on him first. I guess one of the people least likely we would have thought to get into the kind of trouble that he now appears to be in. Yeah, uh, as he has been described to me as a squeaky clean minister and a lot of other politicians are saying, well, if Pascal got it wrong, maybe the rest of us have got it wrong as well. Um, really surprised that uh, the public expenditure minister, Pascal Donoghue, has found himself at the centre of this controversy now. And how is he going to get himself out of it is another story, Mick. Yeah, and just to recap briefly, Kira, what exactly was the issue? Yes, yeah, so he was before the all giving a statement on Wednesday in relation to issues around his expenses declaration from the 2016 general election campaign. So um, he has apologised for that. And essentially, the mistake he talks about refers to a donation that was made to what Fine Gael and Pascal Donoghue are saying to his constituency organisation in Dublin Central, where the minister is a TD. The constituency organisation, as they claim, instead of saying that it was actually a donation to Mr Donoghue, received a donation worth €1,057. This was the cost of six people and a commercial van being used to erect and basically take down posters over four evenings during the election campaign. So the issue is, under SIPO, the Standards and Public Office Commission rules, Donations to individual candidates are limited to €1,000, but donations to party organisations are limited to €2,500. 
Pascal Donahouten Fine Gael are maintaining that the donation made by CEO of the designer group and supporter and friend of Pascal Donahue were made to the constituency and not to Pascal Donahue individually because this obviously would breach uh, the spending rules and it's not a good look for the minister who has been finance minister for a number of years and is now public expenditure minister. So essentially, um, he was forced to uh, amend his declarations. He called a press conference last Sunday, which is very, very rare, uh, to give a statement to the press after there were requested statements put into him by multiple news outlets. When this first came to light, I think it was a couple of years ago, and now there has been essentially a report made to SIPO and a complaint against Pascal Donoghue on this matter, and that has to be investigated. And I suppose uh, Pascal Donoghue is also the minister that will oversee changes to SIPO legislation or anything got to do with SIPO. Yeah, it's a strange one in some ways, Kira. Kira, for instance, say Pascal Donoghue had declared this, either as a benefit or donation, as it was, even though it wasn't a cash donation, to SIPO in the wake of the 2016 election. Would it have been a big deal then? Would it have caused a lot of waves? It's hard to know if... Well, it would have if if it was an individual donation, but they're saying it wasn't. It was to the constituency. If it was made to the constituency, then no. But the issue was, is that Pascal Donoghue was, he claims, he was of the understanding that the work that was carried out was done voluntary. But it later emerged that it wasn't involuntary and Michael Stone had actually paid for this work to be done. Um, and when Pascal Donoghue took to the doll on Wednesday evening, he also revealed that um, Michael Stone bought tickets in a fundraiser draw in 2020. Five tickets worth €334 Euro, and in 2021, 22 tickets worth €1,382. So I suppose um, the argument that Sinn Féin and other opposition parties are making is that uh, Fine Gael and Pascal Donoghue are claiming that the donation was made to the constituency. However, uh, the opposition are saying, well, if if there has also been this other donations made to the personal individual, it kind of kind of blows a hole in their claiming, blows a hole in the argument. And also that uh, questions have been raised about the value of the donation that was made, uh, how Pascal Donoghue came to this exact value. Um, it's €1,057 when Sinn Féin's Pierre Starty asked how uh, his calculation came about and how it squared with Fianna Fáil's Mary Fitzpatrick who forked out nearly €5,000 for postering in the same constituency and in the Dáil um, on Wednesday evening Labour TD Jed Nash also told the Dáil how the usual price for erecting posters in 2016 was €5, €3 up, €2 down but we actually don't know how many posters that were put up on Pascal Donoghue's behalf and he failed to answer questions numerous times in a doll and so the issue is going to bubble on. So it's still not clear how many posters are put up, how he came to the cost um, of the use of the commercial van and the number of posters that are put, put up and how much the people were paid to do so. Two things strike me about Akira. One, and that is the if he had come out, I'd suggest in 2017, even perhaps if he'd come out last year when a number of journalists started making inquiries about it, I think any fallout from his point of view would not be anywhere near as bad. Now, that's something I have seen time and time again with politicians who have something lurking in the background, be it big or small or whatever, 
they seem to forever, despite all the evidence of history and all the evidence to the contrary, they seem to continue to always believe that this will not emerge in public until it gets to the point where it does and by then things are far worse for them. The other issue I think is, uh, I covered for, oh God, years, I will not get back here for, I'd say over 10 years, the planning tribunal. And that was a real peak into political donations. In fact, at one stage, both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael had to um, conduct inquiries internally into their respective parties to see how much money individuals had got in various elections. And what emerged from that is the way things were run then was literally very wealthy individual. And Kira Phelan is running, and I'd like to cut of her jib, local TD or what, scratching backs or whatever way you want to put it. I could literally write a cheque for 100 grand. There you go, Kira. Put that to your election expenses. No more will be said. That's the way things used to be done. Thankfully, we're at a position now where every penny has to be accounted for and there are limits on donations. But I think we all know there are ways around those donations. And yet, at the end of all that, we've this scenario whereby uh, somebody puts up these posters for Pascal Donoghue and he has landed in some very hot water, it would seem. Yeah, and that's the thing, Mick, that uh, and the public end up being sick of it as well, especially when there's a drip feed of information. Like when Pascal Donoghue stood up in the doll on Wednesday evening, he said that he wouldn't be making any further comment about it and that Sippo was going to look into it now. But that's not the case because um, no matter what politician is rolled out to any other media event, so if the Taoiseach or if uh, if Leo Vradker, the Taunish or Micheál Martin is going to be facing questions on another issue, at a launch or something, this is going to continually come up because, like you said, um, if it's not put to bed, it's it, the matter is going to continue, and that's what we're seeing here with Pascal Donahue. And I suppose the the other side of it is is where is it going to lead to, and it gives the opposition ammunition big time to continually question him and push him, and it does not look good. Mm. One final thing, and this is not specifically related to this at all, but related to Pascal Donahue himself, who I think I think it's fair to say he did a reasonably good job in as Minister for Finance for two and a half years, and I think he's pretty well regarded. Um, have you heard anything, Kira, in relation to any prospect or intentions of him running the next election? Because as we know, he's in Dublin Central, which I think is fair to say is a pretty left-wing constituency, and that he may have trouble getting elected the next time. Have you heard anything in that vein? Well, actually, in the 2016 general election that we're discussing, it was a really tight race there um, for Pascal Donahue. So it would be interesting in, to see how he fares. He has he has made it clear that he's going to run in the next general election. But listen, all politicians are going to say that. They're not going to say any different um, in the middle of, uh, in the midst of the government running for another two and a half years. And there has also been discussion perhaps of him potentially going to Europe uh, for a job, but he's obviously asked about that repeatedly and has said that he remains committed to his constituency and will work there. But it would be interesting to see how how it goes. He is a well-regarded um, minister, a TD. He is also chairman of your group and a lot of people like him. And he's he's seen, this is why this whole issue, Postergate, as it's been called, 
um, is quite shocking to people because they don't, they never expected uh, Pascal Donahue to be at the centre of such controversy. So uh, depending on how it, it ends, Mick, it will be interesting to see will it or will it not have any impact for Mr Donahue at the next general election. Postergate, yeah. I mean, God, Watergate is an awful lot to answer for. It's been gates all over the shop since that, what, nearly 50 years ago. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Now, Kira, another major political issue this week was the announcement by the Minister for Housing about a redress scheme for people who were affected by defective building in apartments. Tell us about that. Yeah, so on Wednesday following Cabinet, the Housing Minister Dara O'Brien came out and said that Cabinet had approved a fully funded scheme to repair uh, between 62,500 but up to a hundred thousand homes with building defects. Um, the minister said the cost of the scheme could potentially run up to 2.5 billion euro and would cover 100% of costs as well as covering remediation work already um, having taken place or underway. The scheme will cover apartments and duplexes built in the Celtic Tiger era. So they're saying between 1991 and 2013. And the main issue that has arisen, they said, in relation to these um, apartments is fire safety issues as well as structural issues and, and water ingress. Um, the scheme will be retrospective. Um, there will be no caps on the cost of repairs under the scheme. And Darrell O'Brien said that they're looking at an average cost per unit of €25,000. Some may be less and some may be significantly more. Um, and the scheme itself will be overseen by the housing agency. And what was the general reaction in around Leinster House to it? It was cautiously welcomed. Opposition TDs said that they would like to see... The, so legislation is required for this mix, so they said that they would like to see the legislation um, to ensure that 100% redress is actually um, offered to those that are affected. Um, Housing Minister Dower O'Brien said he expects some payments to be made this year, but more more next year as the scheme is stood up. Obviously, there was um complete different reaction to the scheme for from TDs who are from... Donegal, um, Mayo, Clare, Limerick and other counties that are affected by um, affected by the Mike Empire scandal. Um, I'm sure we'll get to that. But also um, what is out of this scheme is that the taxpayer is going to foot the bill. Um, people before profit 
TD Richard Boyd Barrett has reiterated his calls for a levy to be imposed on the construction industry and property developers. Um, Darrell O'Brien coming out saying that those in the construction industry that were involved have a moral responsibility. Um, Richard Boyd Barrett and others, of course, saying this isn't good enough. Um, so it was quite a mixed reaction. Uh, those in government welcomed it, of course, but um, the opposition to these are looking to see the legislation first to make sure that uh, those will be absolutely receiving 100% redress. Right, and I have to say, Kira, um, even though I'm nominally the interviewer on this podcast, uh, I'm going to veer off course slightly now from the point of view that I actually had did an awful lot of work in this area over the last nine years. So I'll just give you a bit of background and you you, yeah. you ask me anything that you want, you want to fill in on. Yeah, how how did it all start? Like, I know you did a lot of work on this, but uh, when we were discussing this uh, previously, I obviously have come to it quite um, late, but you've done a lot of work on this. How did it all start? Well, I tell you, and I suppose a lot of it, it go, it's going on so long, there'll be a lot of people out there who are not okay with it. People will be aware, 2011 Priory Hall, big development, I think it's about 280 apartments in North County Dublin. Um, that hit the headlines when there was a High Court ruling that it would have to be evacuated on the basis of uh, a, a report by Dublin City Council's fire officer that said you know, people would be in imminent danger if they remained in there. Such were the deficiencies in fire safety. Everybody was evacuated. It became huge news. The building itself effectively had to be more or less demolished and rebuilt. It cost somewhere in excess of 40 million euro, mostly I think paid by Dublin City Council, to do all the work. And this was a huge scandal at the time. There was major fallout in terms of people were out of their homes, Mm. they were living in hotels. There was one instance where one man who was with his young family there, he took his own life and that became a very tragic element to the the whole scenario. Um, but at the time, and actually, Kira, I had been out there, this is prior to working with the Irish Examiner, I'd been out there a year prior to that when I was working with the Sunday Tribune. I was brought out there by a local councillor and I introduced one of the residents. And then I was shown that there was some deficiencies there and I wrote a story on it and contacted the architects and everything. But at that stage, it wasn't obvious that it was a dangerous building and that's what emerged in 2011. Now, the reaction to that at the time was that this was some kind of an aberration. That the the builder, Tom McFeely, was a former IRA hunger striker and he was correctly portrayed as a chancellor. He subsequently went bankrupt in fact, there was other issues too. At one stage, there were workmen working in, in, in a house he'd vacated in Balls Bridge and they came across a huge amount of cash under a bath in the house. But he was obviously somebody who was not, well, what you'd call it, your, your regular developer. But that was obvious. But at the same time, what that meant was that this was portrayed as being something totally out of the ordinary, that this would not be happening anywhere else. Anyway, about three years after that, I got a call one day from somebody whose name I won't uh, uh, reveal, to put it that way, because he, he was doing so anonymously. This individual uh, told me, he's a bit of a public figure actually, but he told me a nephew of his was working as an electrician in a place called Longboat Quay, down Sir John Rogerson Quay in Dublin. And he had told him what was going on there was unreal. 
that uh, they discovered all these sorts of problems. I investigated that. I went down to the Longboat Quay and I got myself into the place. I walked around. I checked out the whole place. I spoke to some of the residents and I wrote a piece and it basically emerged that major defects had been discovered there and that the place was being patrolled by fire marshals 24-7. So this was the first time that this arose and it subsequently arose in a number of developments that men and women had to be employed to literally walk around 24-7 just to be there, to be on hand should a fire begin anywhere. And the reason for that was that the defects were so bad that in the event of a fire, it was believed that there would not be enough retardation of the fire to ensure that everybody got out safely, which is a pretty scary situation Mm. for anybody who's in that kind of a building. That was the first one that came to light. And after that, they began to fall like dominoes, if I could put it that way, if it's not a crude way of putting something like this. Time and again, the Irish Examiner, I have to say, led a lot of it and some of the other media then came on board. The Irish Times discovered a number of instances and RTE here and there as well. But all of these various developments, it started to become obvious that there were issues around them. In 2015, then we saw the result of what could have happened to these, to a lot of, of, of these developments. That was a place called Millfield Manor in Newbridge County, Kildare. It was a, a timber frame development of houses now, not even apartments, all owned door houses. There was a fire in the afternoon in one of these houses, in a terrace of six of them, the whole terrace was raised to the ground within half an hour. Oh, my God. Now, that, by design, should have taken at least three hours. And thankfully, it happened in the middle of the afternoon. Somebody saw it. The people who were inside in the house, and there weren't that many inside the house that time of day, were all evacuated very quickly. Can you imagine no. what would have happened if that had occurred in the middle, in the of, the middle of the night? In the middle of the night, it would have been disastrous. Absolutely. And and this was this was an example of what could happen if a fire started in any of these apartment blocks. And the other issue that arose very early on, Kira, was that as you can understand, if I'm there and I've bought an apartment and say I'm st- and, and typically, you know, you would have had a lot it's changed unfortunately since because of the housing mm. prices. But typically you would have had a lot of young people either single or as couples buying an apartment with a view in their eyes to this being a a starter home from which they'd hope to graduate if they get a family or or whatever. And therefore, they would see it as a transient existence, Mm -hmm. you know, very, very naturally. So that was one kind of owner. The other kind of owner was the the, the investor who might buy five or six Mm -hmm. of these apartments and would be renting them out. And obviously, the investor would be keeping an eye on the value of their investment. Now, in both those instances... In a lot of cases, it wasn't in the interest of the homeowners to reveal, even when it was discovered, and even on a communal basis, the extent of these fire safety defects that rendered these developments dangerous. Because in a lot of cases, these people wanted to stay quiet on the basis of they hoped one day to sell it and this would have a massive impact on the resale value. So, as a result, they came out in a drip-drip fashion and very often only following detailed investigations, which typically might have been carried out by the likes of NAMA, who were selling um, a, a group of apartments that, that had been 
taken off as somebody who went bankrupt or went into NAMA, that kind of thing. Mm. So that's the way the thing developed. And it an awful lot of people were very afraid of what was coming out. And at the same time, I have to say this, we were publishing stories that were coming out in other media as well. The government's attitude for a very long time was, this is terrible. We feel yeah. very sorry for the homeowners, but it's nothing to do with us. It was built under another government. It was built by developers. It's a private sector matter. We're very sorry for your troubles, but we can't do anything about yeah. it. How did it get then into the political arena first and kicking government into action, essentially, and doing something about it? Yeah, I suppose one very um, considerable development in it was... Um, Sinn Féin housing spokesman Ono Brin and Catherine Martin, who's of the Green Party, who's now the Minister for the Arts, she was in opposition at the time. Both of them spearheaded a campaign to have the issue the focus of a number of hearings in the Housing Oireachtas Committee. They did that over a number of months. And then in December 2017, uh, 17 it was, yeah, Ono Brin um, authored the report called Safe as Houses. Mm. That was effectively a blueprint of how the issue should be tackled. And there was two prongs. With one was, they recommended there had to be a redress scheme. That was on the basis that these people were all left totally out of pocket, no fault to their own, their homes rendered dangerous. It was an issue that arose in the first instance because of the builders, many of whom unfortunately had gone bust. And I have to say, in some instances, those builders that went bust reappeared yeah. under different guises, but they weren't legally liable for what they had done. So that that was one element. The other element of it was the state had a responsibility on the basis that the um, regulation... Regime and inspection that was there at the time was absolutely shocking. Nothing was inspected virtually. I mean, at one stage, there were more dog inspectors active in the state than there were building inspectors going around building. That's no fault to individuals in the local authority, but it was effectively a self-regulation regime whereby the builders were expected to build according to design and to the greatest extent were let off at it and trusted. And this was in an environment where so much money was being made that was inevitable that people were going to cut corners. Anyway, that's what came out of Safest Houses. Uh, that was the Oireachtas Committee report. And as you'll well know, Kira, very often Oireachtas Committees mm-hmm. can make reports that end up gathering dust. But outside of the Dáil, there was a campaign then that was launched by an organisation, Construction Defects Alliance. They retained um, Pat Montague, a communications uh, professional, somebody I very closely saw with the Labour Party previously, and they conducted a campaign to ensure, to try and bring this forward. We had the change of government 2020. In opposition, Fianna Fáil had committed to doing something about it. And that was the beginning of the long road that led ultimately to the... Um, to the announcement that Daryl O'Brien made during It's not the really just a Dublin problem though, isn't it? Not it's it's why it's more widespread than that. Absolutely. It's all over the country. I mean, I for instance, I've come across scenarios in County Louth, in County Waterford, uh, in Shannon, County Clare. There's a huge uh Bruna Shoyna, a place in Shannon, County Clare. I spoke to a number of homeowners there. Some of what they were put through was horrendous. And you see, you also had a scenario in a lot of these developments whereby you had a different approaches from develop from uh, investors and homeowners. Mm. The investors, and 
that's where they're coming from. They want the thing rectified immediately so they can ensure that their investment is um, that there's no loss to their investment when they, for its resale value. And that the homeowners were in a scenario whereby many of them had huge mortgages yeah. and now they're being expected to pay out up to 10, 20, 50, 60,000 on top of that. And there, there being no uh, comeback for them as they saw it. So you, you had all those kind of tensions arising and as you say, it was happening all over the yeah. country. I suppose one of the reactions that came out of the scheme yesterday was that it was being compared to the Micah Redress scheme and a lot of people in those counties that I'd listed like Donegal, um, Clare, um, Limerick, they are really disappointed. Some are calling it dis- discrimination from the government, albeit the schemes are totally different. Um, and I suppose what the government would argue that the, the scheme for the apartments that was announced on Wednesday was that the cost would be a lot smaller, but you'd have to feel for the micro homeowners who they they are affected by the concrete blocks that they there's been a cap at 420,000 per, per home for them. And um, they also were looking for the housing agency to oversee um, the scheme for f- that was announced for them, but that didn't happen and materialise. So they're essentially left to get uh, the project up and running themselves and source the builders. Whereas the scheme that was announced on Wednesday, the housing agency is overseeing that. So they feel, I suppose, really disheartened. And I know Sinn Féin TD, Porrick McLaughlin, he's TD for Donegal, was quite vocal about that in the Dáil yesterday. Um, so you, you can't help but feel a bit sorry for them. Absolutely. There's irony in that there too, Kira, because the Micah people, and we, we've seen the photographs of literally crumbling. I think they had one display there outside the Dáil whereby they, they had some Weetabix there as a comparison for what was actually happening, the, the crumbling uh, concrete blocks from their homes. Now, I think it, was the, it wasn't last summer, it was the summer before last, I think. They had a major... Mm-hmm. March and protest and it was outside the convention centre. It was during COVID so the doll was sitting in the convention centre and it was a huge protest and that I think shook the government and had a major impact on them forcing them to really consider that they had to put together uh, a, a considerable redress yeah. scheme. Ironically, that also, in my opinion, fed into this scheme because once the government conceded that in terms of MICA, they had to also say, okay, we also have to concede in terms of the uh, defective apartments. But as you point out, it's gone beyond that to a certain extent in that, yes, they'll give the 100% redress to the defective apartments. They're not doing that for the the, the homes in, in Donegal and Mayo. And that's interesting. And also, I think the input of the housing agency is very interesting because that's the agency. There was originally a pyrite scheme in Leinster and the housing agency, I think, were involved in that. And and they have bought a record in it and and the the, the capabilities of being able to deal with it properly. And you can definitely understand why the MICA people are, are, are aggrieved in that respect. Yeah, I suppose one of the other contentious issues is this argument about uh, when the MICA redress scheme was being announced the con- the conversation that was being had on the airwaves was oh well the taxpayer is going to foot the bill and there's there's also you know reports that the micro redress scheme could reach past 3 billion euro um but those who are affected by the defective 
concrete blocks would say, well, they are taxpayers as well. And I suppose it comes back to the whole point, Mick, that once again, the public are bailing out the private sector. We did it with the banks and now we're doing it for developers and builders. And like Darrell O'Brien saying that there's a moral responsibility on developers and construction, the construction sector uh, to contribute towards the cost of this just is not good enough. Um, these are people that clearly, and not all, but some that were involved in shoddy work and they won't face the cost for it. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a crazy scenario. And I mean, in the first instance, we are all now, people talk about taxpayers, but we're all taxpayers, as, as you said, including those who've been affected. But what's happening is that now... And, and there are a lot of prevailing problems at the moment, particularly to do with housing, but also with cost of living. But what's ultimately happening is, for instance, that 2.5 billion in relation to apartments, mm. the 2 or 3 billion in relation to pyrite, all of that is money foregone for housing, health, education. But it is absolutely necessary to pay absolutely. it out because the individuals affected, it's, it is they had no culpability whatsoever. In fact, they were conned mm -hmm. by a combination of builders and the state. And so politically, economically, we are all still footing the bill for a time now. And the more that we look back on it, it seems crazier every time. Not only were the banks out of control, but if you put together, Kira, all of the kind of redress schemes that are being put in place because of shoddy building, we're talking somewhere between five and ten billion. Now, the banks ultimately, when the, the, the payback was made in terms of what could be recouped, I think it came in around 30 billion or thereabouts. It ain't too far off that in terms of what went on in the yeah. building. And the other point being... A lot of them went out of business. Okay, fair enough. A lot of them shouldn't have been in that business in the first place. But a number of them resurfaced in different guises and they are shorn of any legal responsibility for what was done. That comes back on all of us. And you have to wonder whether were the same thing to happen in the morning, there'd be the political will for a different outcome. I suppose one other thing to point out, after Priory Hall, one result was that a new standard of big mm. building regulations came in. It's called BCAR. And that involved closer uh, tracking of the building through uh, individuals called the sign certifiers. They could be engineers, architects or surveyors. So there was a paper trail effectively. Now, okay, that's better than what went before it. But I know a lot of people, academics, experts in the area and people, some people within the, the, the building industry who still say that it is not really uh, foolproof in that respect and that what we need, what they have in most countries, most obviously in our neighbouring jurisdiction, the north of Ireland and in, in, in the UK, is a building control system that is run by the state. Jesus, it shouldn't be yeah. beyond us to be able to do that. I know, Mick, and it's the, I don't want to alarm anybody that's listened to it, but it also makes me wonder that if we don't have something like that in place, the fear of... Um, something like this potentially ever happening down the line. Um, we spoke about cutting corners. Um, the government obviously is under pressure to meet its har housing targets and uh, you'd hate to see anything like this ever happen again. And for the people that are living in those apartments, like you said, rightly getting the redress and for the MICA uh, 
pe- the people affected by the mica as well. Like p- when you're listening to their stories, they're going to bed at night, um, with their children crying be- because they're hearing the cracks in the walls. It's absolutely terrifying, and I hope to God we never see anything like that happen in the country again. I agree, Kira. Hopefully, and I, I, I'd have to say the, the scale of what went on was so big. I think. Well, to, to the extent you'd be confident, I think we yeah. can be confident it won't go on to that scale. But that's not the issue. It shouldn't be going on to any scale. And as you say, we're once again in a time where there's going to be frantic building for different reasons, because we need the houses rather than because everyone's making so much money, as, as was the case in, in the Celtic Tiger years. Everyone, by everyone, I mean everybody involved in the business. But, you know, we just have to hope that things are not going to get that bad again. And I suppose the main thing is that now that we're alerted, greater vigilance is going to be on all of these processes. Um, that's the story, Kira. as far as we are with the, with, with the redress scheme. And can I just check with you finally, is, there, is legislation expected in it? How soon would, could we expect that to be coming through? Yeah, I think uh, the indication for the scheme that was announced on Wednesday is that hopefully it would be uh, this year sometime. But I exact timeline, not entirely sure yet. But Dar O'Brien, like I said, did give an indication that some uh, money may be spent out uh, this year, but likely the majority of it would be 2024. So you're probably looking at the latter half of the year. But then again, who knows? I hope we don't have issues that arise when it comes to the legislation, like the opposition TDs have said, that we need to see it before um, it's completely passed and they need to be satisfied with it. OK, Kira Phelan. Thank you very much. I, I think, Kira, this was your debut on the podcast. It was. Hopefully you'll have me back. <laughs> We're honoured to have you. And for your debut, you get landed with me doing most of the talking this time around. <laughs> anyway, Kira, listen, thanks very much. Thanks, mate. I'd also like to thank uh, our engineer, as always, JJ Vernon. Thank you, folks, for listening. And we'll be back with you again very soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.